Who can save me from this dead corpse? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So when I was uh, a kid, um, maybe 12 or 13, I remember being at the beach in Florida, lost in a little downtown area. I was looking for an ice cream store that was recently built with the mission of bringing back ice cream to, the fr- to my friends back at the house. Well, I couldn't find it, and I was getting kind of desperate. So I flagged down someone and asked if he knew the whereabouts of the ice cream store. The stranger paused, and he reached for his beard, his long beard, really mulling it over. Uh Uh-oh. After a few moments, he responded with utter sincerity, well, it might be that way, pointing to his left, or he continued, It could be that way, pointing in the completely opposite direction. Um, thanks? Well, anytime Katie and I get lost, I usually pipe up with the sage wisdom. It might be that way, or it might be that way. For me, one of the abiding anxieties of this whole COVID affair, this reopening, one that I've touched on before, is the anxiety before the future. It's so hard to predict it, because who of us could have predicted any of this that has brought us to the present? We are beyond the pale of prediction. I remember earlier last month watching an interview on my computer when it was interrupted by an advertisement, a YouTube advertisement, for a product to help with mask breath. (laughs) Mask breath. If we had told our 2019 selves that we'd be seeing that commercial, we would have been mystified. Who could have predicted this? I can't think of anyone. And yet, the phenomenon of predicting the future is totally unavoidable. We speculate about what schools will look like or daycares or when we can safely travel or if that fall concert we have tickets for will still go off or if that anniversary transatlantic trip will still happen. We stand, I stand, anxious and curious before the future. And everybody and their sister has a theory. From the economists to the journalists and the pundits to the sociologists to your well-meaning neighbor, everyone has a way to meet our prediction addiction. And it is an addiction. Yesterday, I discovered good judgment a private firm specializing in super forecasting. You've heard of these super forecasters, I'm sure. 
These are the superheroes of the present who can see into the future. These super forecasters use probability algorithms and quantitative psychological data to, in their language, help one see the future sooner and more clearly. It's not magic, they reassured me on their website. It's science, the science of the future. Here's the dilemma. We want to be told what the future will look like, and yet we know we won't be satisfied with the answer because we know that no one, no model, no forecast will be exactly right. It's not that trying to predict the future is bad, so much that when I hear a prediction, I use it to calm and soothe my anxious mind. As Paul says in today's reading, from Romans. The law is good, but the law also shows me my own heart, and it's my own heart that is confused and at war with itself. It reminds me of an article from earlier in uh, June uh, written by Mark Lilla, a New York Times columnist I usually enjoy. The article was not so subtly titled, No One Knows what is going to happen. He begins it this way. The public square is thick today with augurs and prophets claiming to foresee the post-COVID world to come. I myself, writes Lilla, have been pursued by foreign journalists asking what the pandemic will mean for the American presidential election, populism, race relations, etc. And they seem awfully put out when I say I have no idea. At some level, people must be thinking that the more they learn about what is predetermined, the more control they will have. This is an illusion, writes Lilla. Human beings want to feel that they are on a power walk into the future, when in fact, we are always just tapping our canes on the pavement in the fog. In other words, you might go that way, or you might go that way. St. Paul knows that we live before an unknown future, and he's casting around for what he can trust, who he can trust to give him directions. Who can save me from this dead body, he asks. You could say that Romans 7 is about a man struggling with the future as he finds himself doing what he doesn't want to do. He longs for a, re for a reconciliation in himself that is half glimpsed, half heard. Some have argued that this is pre-Christian Paul writing these words. They say Christians don't talk like this. This is the sinful soul, the sundered self, that has been once and for all healed by Jesus Christ. I don't agree with that. I think this is Paul, as a Christian, giving us a window into his own heart. I think this is Paul, who wants to be happy, but can't make himself be happy. The man writing in Romans 7 is the one who had everything, 
and still felt something missing. He didn't have a phone to doom scroll on, but maybe he knew the feeling. You could read this as the outburst of a psychologically fragile guy, but maybe he's just someone who wants to know that he is going to be okay, and he cannot by his own powers convince himself. You've been there, haven't you? Our passage is also a picture of a soul bound in sin. And the problem with sin, at least for St. Paul, is that he can't fix it. He can't make it go away. And the surprising thing is that even God, it seems, can't make it go away. Paul turns to God. He turns to God's law. He sets before himself the good example of Abraham and Jacob and Moses, and he seeks inspiration from their lives. But even that can't stop his fears in the night. Because you can believe in God and still have a heart that's out of joint, terrified before the future. For Paul, this is precisely the problem. To be anxious before the future. Sin for Paul isn't naughtiness or hanging out too late at the Starlight Lounge. Rather, it's simply a lack of trust in God. He'll say as much later on in chapter 14 of this letter. When Paul calls himself a miserable human being, he's not holding forth as a kind of paragon of low self-esteem. He just recognizes how bad he is at actually trusting God. Who can deliver me from this body of distrust? Surely not God. God is, in some ways, the problem for Paul, not the answer. One character in David Foster Wallace's novel, Infinite Jest, gives unforgettable voice to our doubt of God. I have some administrative bones to pick with God. I'll say God has a kind of laid-back management style I'm not crazy about. I'm pretty much anti-death. God looks, by all accounts, to be pro-death. I'm not seeing how we can get together on this issue, he and I. Deep down, there's a part of us that would like someone to do a performance review with God. We've got some administrative bones to pick. We're all so heavy laden, carrying a divided self, anxious about the future. And we, like Paul, might look to the heavens and stomp our feet and say, God, sometimes you aren't a good God. Your laid back management style isn't very helpful. If I were being honest, this might be the heaviest burden we carry. Is it because God feels so far away, so distant, that we feel we have to carry the burden of the future ourselves? As we doom scroll, do we secretly wish God had a better handle on things? Well, it's just when the volume of the doubt begins to overwhelm us, we notice right in the midst of us, right beside us, as if here all along, 
something else we could never predict, someone we never expected. Christ, with a healing word, our gospel text, like an ancient spring of water gushing, gushing onto dry land. Come to me, you who are struggling and heavy laden. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. He doesn't tell us what the future will be. He doesn't feed my prediction addiction. He gives a promise. If believing in yourself is sometimes a burden, if believing in God is sometimes a burden, trust me, he says. I know the way. Human beings, said Lilla, want to feel that they are on a power walk into the future, when in fact we are always just tapping our canes on the pavement in the fog. That might sound like a grim word, but maybe it's a liberating word too. We don't have to carry the burden of the future, and we don't have to wander in the dark alone. Just when we feel our hands beginning to squeeze tighter, just when the anxiety tapes start up, just when we get ticked that it's still pretty foggy out, we'll feel an older and a wiser presence with us. And when we cannot see very far forward, we hear the familiar voice beside us. We gain something far more precious than knowing the future. Because when you have something, or better still, someone, big enough to hold your trust, you'll have fallen into a grace bigger than you could ever predict. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.